This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Eliza Harvey. It's Thursday the 14th of April. In your Squiz today, reports of chemical warfare in Ukraine, Western Australia steps towards COVID normal, the commercialisation of Easter, and a couple of podcasts for your weekend. This is your Squiz today. The question about whether Russia is using chemical weapons in the war in Ukraine continues to be raised with the global chemical weapons watchdog monitoring reports of an attack in Mariupol. Now, chemical weapons are banned by United Nations conventions and the use of them would signal a big escalation in the war. While, as we mentioned yesterday, it's currently difficult to verify claims of chemical warfare in Ukraine. But tell us what's being reported, Eliza. So Ukrainian fighters say Russian forces dropped a poisonous substance during a drone attack on the city on Monday. Uh, Some fighters suffered from shortness of breath and others described a sweet tasting white smoke that followed the explosion. Now, uh, Ukrainian officials are investigating whether phosphorus ammunition had been used. Uh, Phosphorus is a chemical. It can be used as a component in relatively harmless things like flares or matches, but it can be packaged up with other chemicals as a weapon, which actually penetrates the body and burns deep into the skin. It sounds particularly unpleasant. Uh, It's also worth noting some context of that drone attack on Monday. It's been reported that a spokesman from the Russian-backed Donetsk People's Republic urged Moscow to bring in chemical forces to the city to, quotes, smoke out the moles. Our Foreign Minister Maurice Payne says that if the reports of chemical warfare are confirmed, it would be a further wholesale breach of international law. It's not often that they get used in conflict. No, not necessarily widespread, but they were part of the war in Syria. And by 2013, so that was two years into the war, the US said it was very confident that Syrian government forces had allowed its troops to attack opposition forces with these weapons. Now, one of the worst attacks was in a Damascus suburb called Ghouta. It resulted in scores of dead and gruesome injuries. The Russians got involved in that war in 2015 in support of the government forces, which is to say, in terms of the bigger picture here, Larissa, Russia has been partnered with people willing to use these weapons against their own people. Western nations have said that they'll take firm action against Russia if they are being used, but no one has actually outlined what that action would look like. It's all pretty concerning. It comes as reports that Russia are currently regrouping for a big attack in the country's east and that they're on the brink of capturing Mariupol. Over to New York now, where 23 people have been injured, five critically in an attack in Brooklyn on the New York City subway. A lone gunman set off smoke bombs before shooting into the crowd. Police now believe they've identified and arrested the attacker. Yeah, that's right. They've arrested 62-year-old Frank James this morning after a tip-off from the public because there was a big citywide search. Mayor Eric Adams made the announcement at a media conference. He said, my fellow New Yorkers, we got him. The suspect James had previously posted videos online sharing his bigoted views. Now, police say he rented a van in Philadelphia before abandoning it near a subway station in Brooklyn. A key to the car was found on the train along with 
with a handgun and ammo, uh, a hatchet, fireworks and fuel. So that's all quite concerning. James will now appear in court in Brooklyn on a terrorism-related charge, and that has a maximum sentence of life in jail. Uh, It's worth noting here, Larissa, that it is the worst shooting incident in the history of the city subway. All victims are in a stable condition and are expected to recover. We mentioned yesterday that the Minister for the Pacific, Zed Seselja, was making a mid-election diplomatic dash to the Solomon Islands to talk about their proposed security deal with China. What's the latest, Eliza? Minister Seselja made a statement after that meeting and he said that he asked the Solomon Islands respectfully to consider not signing the agreement, which is some pretty direct language after a long time of diplomacy around this matter. He said that he asked PM Sogavare to consult the Pacific family in the spirit of regional openness and transparency. Uh, Now, this all comes as Sogavare recently said that he was poised to sign that deal and that would allow police and Chinese troops to to be stationed on the island, as well as Chinese warships to dock at their ports. Seselja also told Sogavare that if he has security needs, he should give Australia a call, that we'd be happy to help with full respect for the country's sovereignty. The significance of the Pacific to the security of the region was also emphasised by the head of the US Marine Corps, David Berger, here yesterday. He also warned that the West is failing to block China's gradual advances across the Indo-Pacific. Back home and we're taking another step towards COVID normal as a whole country with a bunch of COVID restrictions easing in WA overnight. Yeah, so from midnight last night, only household or intimate contacts of a positive case will be considered close contacts and so need to isolate. Uh, Premier McGowan said this would bring WA into line with the rest of the nation. Uh, The changes also include a lifting of the 500 person cap at pubs and clubs and function centres, that's all in time for Easter. Also, there's no more QR codes. So lots of changes there, Larissa, since the state brought down its hard border on March the 3rd. Uh, Masks are staying on for now, but that remains under review. In South Australia, though, uh, it'll pretty much go mask-free from tomorrow. We're getting there, heading towards COVID normal. We're about to head into the Easter long weekend, Eliza. I plan on consuming many a hot cross bun. But there's an interesting development about the holiday when it comes to retail trends. It's getting a whole lot more commercialised. Yeah, it really is. I think I can remember hot cross buns, if not chocolate Easter eggs, in the shops not long after the Christmas decorations came down. And Mm. if you go into the main shops now, both supermarkets and department stores, there's Easter-themed decorations, clothes and plush toys. Uh, And a retail analyst has actually said that Easter's transforming into a second Christmas here in Australia. Um, Some people believe that those sort of toys and merchandise is about wanting to have non-sugary gifts. Um, But others say it's all about social media, wanting (laughs) to take the perfect Easter happy snap uh, for your Instagram account. Yeah, lots of pastels, lots of bunny ears. I know I've just had to make my very first Easter hat for my little oh, one gosh. at daycare. I thought I had a few years before that would happen, but uh, I am renewed in my knowledge that crafts is not my forte. We're doing Thursday Lights today because we're taking the public holiday tomorrow, leaving you with a few things to cook and read over the long weekend. Whether you stick to seafood on Good Friday or not, this recipe for a fish pie is apparently a winner, Eliza. 
Look, I'm actually not a huge fan of fish, although I know that I should eat more of it because it's so good for you. So a fish (laughs) pie is a great way of eating it. Uh, This recipe uses flathead, but I think it can be changed for anything that you like. It's also got a crumbly potato crust, which looks absolutely delicious, but that can be time consuming. And I think that that can be subbed out for some store-bought puff pastry if that's more your jam. We've also included a long read from Vanity Fair on Princess Di and her relationship with the media. I'll put links to both of those in your episode notes. And of course, it is Thursday, Eliza, so we have a squiz shortcut out today. We're taking a quick break from war and security deals to take a close look at the Queen and the future of the royal family, because this year, of course, marks her platinum jubilee. Yeah, so 70 years since her beloved dad, King George, died suddenly in his sleep and her life as a young and relatively newly married woman transformed into one of duty to the crown and to the Commonwealth. So Claire and I look at her reign, uh, her efforts to reform the crown as an institution, which I found particularly interesting. And on the cusp of her 96th birthday, we look at what's next for the royals into the future. It's a good, easy listen for you over the long weekend just search for squiz shortcuts in your podcasting app as i mentioned we'll be taking the long weekend we'll be back in your ears on tuesday with the squiz today podcast eliza any plans look it's a low-key easter this year for me quite a bit of chocolate will be consumed no doubt Mm -hmm. Uh, but there might even be an easter miracle in sydney at least because i've looked at the long-term weather forecast and it's a sunny day on sunday which would be lovely apparently a cold front is moving in across the country but a bit of sunshine is good news i do just want to note that we will be putting out our first ask the squiz episode the questions that have been coming in about the election and politics off the back of the squiz the election episodes have been really really good and Claire and I get stuck into answering them so that will be out on Saturday here in this podcast channel that's all from us have a safe break and we will be back with you on Tuesday Tuesday